Father in heaven, we ask that by your spirit you would shake us and fill us, that in the name of Christ that you would give us boldness and joy, that you would teach us now, even now, as we continue to proclaim and teach in the name of Jesus, the work of Christ, as we are led by your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, we witnessed how Peter and John were put into custody by the Jewish council. If you recall, they had healed a lame man from birth, and after healing him, they were teaching the people about Jesus, teaching in his name, performing works and signs and healings in his name. They were causing such a, a stir in the temple that the council called them, imprisoned them, and basically told them to stop and don't ever teach and do works in the name of Jesus again, and they sent him away. And if you recall, this is how Peter responded. If you look up, this is what he said. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now Peter and John are released They go back to their fellow Christians, their friends, their brothers and sisters, and they share everything that has happened. And what do they do? They get together and they pray. We're told that they lift up their voices together to God and they pray for boldness. Not that things around them would change, not that the circumstances would be different, but boldness so that they could continue to proclaim Jesus as they witness God's work through healing and signs and wonders. We're told that after they prayed, that God, by His Holy Spirit, shook the place and filled the hearts, and that they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Today's text today, as we looked at, is an extension and a a continuation of what is happening with the apostles in the early church as they are teaching and preaching and doing the works through the power of God. And here we see today that they are continuing what they have been doing, now in boldness, and they are put back into prison. But the take-home message, if you look up there with me, the the, the main point is simply that the Spirit fills us with boldness and with joy. We're going to look at those two things, that the Spirit fills us with boldness and joy. And the two questions we'll ask is, what is Spirit-filled boldness? And what is spirit-filled joy? So first, spirit-filled boldness. Again, the disciples were healing people, proclaiming Jesus. Then they were met with opposition and question and persecution. They responded not by simply defending themselves, but again, preaching the gospel to the council. They were threatened. They were kicked out. Then they gathered and prayed. And then they continued to do what they believed was right before the Lord. So yes, there, there, there is a time. There is a time to be still and to wait. But there are also times we see, particularly as it pertains to the preaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, to go and to do. To go and to do. To be prayerful and then go in faith. 
Verse 12 to 16 tells us that the ministry of the gospel continued to take place, that many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. Now, these people weren't just joining the movement for healing. They were joining the kingdom for Jesus. Because I think at first sight, we can probably look at this and say, yeah, if, if, if disciples were walking around healing people and proclaiming these things in powerful ways, of course people are going to gather to this movement. But verse 14 tells us that, that these weren't just people enamored by some sight and sound and, and some miracles. But, but verse 14 says, more than ever, believers, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. The Spirit of God was, was working so powerfully through the apostles that people were even getting healed by sheer proximity. The word began to spread. More people were coming to the Lord. And this time, it's not only Peter and John, but all the apostles that are proclaiming Jesus, healing people, performing signs and wonders as God stretched out his hand to bring people into his kingdom. Can you imagine these people on the streets who were sick and cast out hearing the gospel? Those who were orphans and widows, sojourners, foreigners, even those who were of high standing but always felt alone and unloved and felt that they were measured lacking by those who were superseding them. Can you imagine those people hearing the gospel? Can you imagine those of the lower class who walked in and out of the temples all throughout the streets, basically invisible because nobody cared? Can you imagine those who were lost without a purpose in life, lame from birth, being carried around? Can you imagine these people hearing the gospel message that in Jesus they are loved and accepted, they are forgiven and cherished, they are renewed, they are adopted as sons and daughters, that they are citizens of heaven, that they are part of a kingdom, the kingdom of God that's not made by human hands or human authorities, that's not, that's not run with human politics. That they are now a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that does not change after a term is over. A kingdom that is everlasting. That is ruled by God and Creator who they can also now call Father, Savior, Lord, Brother. Can you imagine how life-giving this good news must have been in Jesus as all the folks in town and even around the towns of Jerusalem, we're told, are hearing and seeing and grasping with their hearts. Broken people, hurt people, prisoners. You can almost imagine, or I imagine, uh, a man similar to, to this Earl DMX Simmons, as he comes to faith, saying things like this as they heard the gospel. And I have it up here. It's a, it's a spoken word. It's called Prayers by, by, by the rapper 
DMX Earl Simmons. This is what, this is what he says in light of hearing the gospel and from his testimony, so to speak, as he, as he prays. He says, I come to you hungry and tired. You give food and let me sleep. I come to you weak. You give strength and that's deep. You called me a sheep and led me to green pastures, only asking that I keep the focus in between the chapters. Lord, why is it that? I go through so much pain. All I saw was black and all I felt was rain. I come to you because it's you who knows. You showed me that everything is black because my eyes were closed. This is just a prayer, a testimony from a broken man who saw and heard the good news of Christ. Can you imagine the people for a second? I know as we go through Acts, we're just told that thousands and multitudes, men and women, are constantly coming to faith. But if we think about these precious individuals, each of them experienced the joy of salvation in Christ. What a joy it is. That after the Christians prayed for boldness, they went out into their workplaces, into the streets, into the markets, into the temples, and they lived out the gospel and they proclaimed the gospel to all who were hungry. Well, again, we see so many people are coming. And the Jewish council saw this, and instead of seeing God's kingdom coming near, they saw it as a threat to their power and their kingdom, their establishment. Verse 17 tells us that they were filled with jealousy, and again, they arrested the apostles, not just Peter and John, but all of them now, and we're told that they threw them in public prison. I don't, I don't know why. This is speculation. But this, this, this made me laugh. Can you, can you imagine all the apostles together in a public prison? Boy, if you were thrown in there that night to sober up, oh, you're in for a treat, huh? Got all the apostles there. If you're a young guy and you're caught after curfew and you're sitting in prison waiting for your mom and dad to pick you up, oh, man. You're in there with all the apostles. I imagine, I imagine some young man sitting in the corner as he accidentally makes eye contact with all the apostles. And, and after a slight pause, I imagine Peter turns to him and say, I come to you hungry and tired. No, I'm just kidding. Can you imagine? They probably, they probably preach the gospel even in the prison. In fact, we, we hear of countless cases, whether they're on the streets and the temples, whether they're in prison, they're preaching the gospel. Anyways, they're in prison here now. Again, those in power trying to squash what they think is some movement, some fanatics. They lock them up and we're told that during the night an angel comes from the Lord, releases them and charges them and tells the apostles, not, hey, run for your life, protect yourself, run away now, you're safe. The angel comes and gives them freedom so that they would go back into the temples and preach and teach Christ. They were freed to continue to do the work that they were locked up to begin with. And this is their charge. Go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people. Check this out. All the words of this life. So when the sun comes up, the apostles go out to the temple again and proclaim the words of life. Indeed, the life-giving word, the word that became flesh, the good news and the gospel of Jesus, they didn't escape, they didn't run, they didn't hide. 
They obeyed and went back into the temple, continued to preach and teach. This is all crazy, and the captain of the guards and some of the officers end up having to escort the apostles back to the council like rock stars. They, they couldn't take them by force because the people were hearing the good news, and, and, and they saw the power in which these apostles exercised the authority of Christ. And so they escorted them back to the council. And if you look, this is what happens now a second time. Not just Peter and John, but all the apostles finding themselves before the council. Look with me, chapter 5, verse 27 to 29. And when they had brought them, they set, before, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Peter basically says the same thing as he did the first time he was called into question. Even more clear, he says, we are going to obey God rather than you. So what does spirit-filled boldness look like? It looks like obedience to God rather than succumbing to man. Fearing God over fearing man. Fearing and loving and revering God. than fearing and revering the authorities of men and what they can do to us. It means doing what is right before God, even though you are afraid or threatened. That's spirit-filled boldness. Obedience. To go, proclaim the gospel, to do kingdom ministry. And we're talking about prison ministry. We're talking about opportunities for mercy ministry. And it's going to take some boldness. It's going to take some boldness to really go into our communities, into the prisons to share the gospel. And it's going to get real, Lord willing, as we continue to do the works of the kingdom and the works of mercy, to see people in our pews here who were previously incarcerated or broken or homeless or lame from birth or orphans or widows. It's going to get real. Hopefully when that time comes, the Lord will continue to give us a boldness to be vulnerable, to be loving, to be like Christ to them as Christ was to us. Spirit-filled boldness looks like obedience and fearing the Lord. So then what about spirit-filled joy? Well, let's continue in chapter 5. Look at verse 40 to 42 with me. Here it is up there. And when they had called in the disciples, they beat them. And you've you, you got to believe it wasn't just a, hey, don't do it anymore, all right? We don't want to tell you again. They beat them. They probably gave him a good whooping. Say, hey, we told you the first time. Now we're going to beat you. We're going to make sure you remember. We're going to make sure we're going to try to beat the fear into you that if you keep proclaiming and doing the works in Christ, we're going to give you a little taste of death so that you know you got to stop. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. 
And we looked at this verse a few weeks ago, didn't we? And then they left the presence of the council, not with their heads held low, not in bitterness, not with regret, but rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease. They took the beating and they kept on going. They did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. You know, one of the Pharisees, Gamaliel, right, he warned the council, he said, hey, let's just hold up for a second. If this is just a simple movement, it's going to get squashed. It's going to die out. But if this is something ordained by God, then we got to be careful here. We don't want to be found opposing God because we'll witness and we'll see that it continues. And, and, and think about it now. From Acts 5 to Sunday, April 11, 2021, has the Lord not brought his good news through the test of time and tribulation and persecution to the ends of the world? The apostles were beaten. They were encouraged by it. They rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. You see, the apostles understood that being a follower of Christ means following in his way, in his footsteps. They understood that sharing in his glory also meant sharing in his suffering. Before Christ was raised from the dead and exalted and glorified and lifted high, he was ridiculed, beaten, humbled, pushed down, suffered, crucified. If we're honest, we want to share in Christ's glory, don't we? Most of us are here. Most of us probably heard, to some degree, the message of the gospel through a felt need of you're depressed, you're lonely, Jesus is the answer, and that's true. But there's such a significant aspect of the gospel at the core of it that we can, we, we, we can share in his suffering. And I know that's a, that's a weird concept to wrap our minds around, that that is something that that ought to lead us to joy, but we can share in his suffering. <clears throat> we often allude to Revelation 21 when Christ will come again and wipe away every tear. Let me ask you, what, what kind of tears do you think will be wiped away? Tears of self-pity? Tears of I didn't get enough pleasure or joy in this life? Tears of Regret, I wish I had done this for my bucket list. No. When Christ returns to wipe away every tear, he's coming to wipe away the tears of suffering from this sin-fallen world. Tears that came from suffering for his name, his glory. Being a Christian, following Jesus, goes hand in hand with sharing in his suffering as well. When I was doing youth ministry, we, we had many mission trips. Uh, one of the ones we would go to, and I, I might have shared this illustration. I probably did. Oh, boy, I got to a point where I'm, not, I'm now sharing the same illustration. Apologize. Take it afresh. We go to some in-state mission trips through a program called Reach Work Camp. And basically, we're able to take young students and go. And we go to impoverished uh, neighborhoods. And we... 
help fix up and renovate homes for people who can't afford it. This program, Reach Work Camp, goes out, locates them, meets with the people, and I thought if I was in that side, I would never let these kids work on my house. But most, mostly they, they bring the kids in just to scrape the paint and maybe paint. And, and a few of the lucky, lucky students get to go up on the roof and just get burnt and scorched while they're doing some roof work. But it's good. It's, it's, a, it's good hard work, and it also gives us time to meet and interact with other believers or even gives us opportunity to witness. But I, I'll never forget one of the students. And, and you know, sometimes with students, you, you, you experience some of these things where, you know, they don't, they don't really have the work ethic there. They're tra- developing it. And I remember to one student, we'll call him Bobby. Um, I say, hey, Bobby, Bobby, you going to work hard today? <laughs> Bobby goes, yeah, Pastor Walt, but I don't want to sweat. I said, what? I'm about to beat you and release you. He said, yeah, yeah, Pastor Walt, I'm going to work hard today, but I don't want to sweat. I said, who raised you, man? <laughs> just he said, I want to work hard, but I don't want to sweat. Doesn't make sense, right? You can't follow Christ, yet not want to suffer. It doesn't make sense. Following Christ means that we're going to suffer like he did. But we will experience the joy and glory as he shares it as well. Here's what the Bible says about sharing in Christ's suffering and why it's always described in this positive light, although it's hard and, and sometimes even leading to death. This is what it, I'm, I'm going to give you a few, few, few texts here. 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's pretty plain. There's not a lot of exegesis that needs to happen there. Persecution is guaranteed. Don't know when, in what form, how, to what intensity, but persecution comes with part of following Christ. Some of us, we've never faced persecution, but I pray that when that time comes, that we would stand firm in the Lord, knowing that it is momentary. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. We don't simply believe in Him from afar, like He's some kind of object or, or a lucky statue, but, but we also get to experience what our Savior experienced in part, and that is also suffering. We, see, as Christians, we don't just believe from afar. It's been granted to us that for the sake of Christ, that we would also suffer and share in His suffering. Philippians 3, 10 through 11, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His suffering, becoming like Him, in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Again, becoming like him. That's what, that's what being a Christian is all about. It comes down to being more and more like Jesus. And you can't be more and more like Jesus unless you live life following after Jesus. Romans 8.18 Here is also a promise that comes along with suffering and persecution for the Christian. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Though persecution and suffering is a given, although it is difficult, although it could mean even death, 
we are assured with such confidence here in Romans that whatever they can do, it's not worth comparing. No man of pain or torture or death. The glory and joy that is to be revealed when Christ returns. That's tough to believe, but that's the promise and assurance we're given. Suffering is a part of the Christian call. It makes us more like him. You know, one thing I'm very grateful of to have experienced as a child is to go to work with my parents. You already know. Here's the plug. Lee's breakfast. I'm broad in Allegheny across the Temple House. Pastor Stephen always cracks up because I'm always at Lee's breakfast, broad in Allegheny. One of the things I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for growing up is, is my parents taking me to work with them. And I, I know that wasn't intentional. I know that was just part of growing up and, 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 and how we had to operate as a family to make ends meet. But, man, looking back, waking up at 4 a.m., praying before turning on the lights at the store, setting up the shop, peeling, chopping, slicing, mixing, stocking, preparing, serving, arguing, counting, sweating, washing, cleaning, closing, watching them and working with them, suffering with them to some degree made me more like them, made me more like my mom and dad, made me love them more, made me more grateful. And I think hopefully in part gave me some resilience that I admire so much in my parents. When we suffer with Christ, when we share in his suffering, it means we're being made more like him. If you don't want to suffer for and with Christ, honestly, it's perhaps time to reconsider why you follow Christ at all. It's difficult. And, and I had to personally also remind myself, well, don't get too comfortable. Don't get so comfortable here. Because all I want to do is be comfortable, have a steady schedule, be able to anticipate what tomorrow is, and have a good meal. Being a Christian means persecution will come. Following Jesus means following after his footsteps, his life. But it will lead to eternal rest and glory and joy. Here's a quote. Here's a quote from Kevin DeYoung. He wrote a book called Just Do Something. And this, this is what he states. Many of us have had it so good that uh, we have started looking for heaven on earth. We have lost any sort of pilgrim attitude. It's all a matter of perspective. If you think that God has promised this world to be a five-star hotel, you will be miserable as you live through the normal struggles of life. But if you remember that God promised we would be pilgrims, and this world may feel more like a desert or even a prison, you might find your life surprisingly happy. And what he's trying to point out here is Christians, those of us who follow Christ, those of us who are struggling to follow Christ, we, it's a reminder that we are sojourners, that we are passerbyers. This world is not our home. I'm reminded every time I pay the mortgage, I don't, I don't even own the house that I'm in. The bank owns it. <laughs> when we make the car payments, you don't even own that car. Well, some of you are lucky enough that have, have, have finished your payments. Praise the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. But this, this, this world, this house, 
It's not our home. Spirit-filled joy. Then what is spirit-filled joy? Spirit-filled joy looks like rejoicing in the face of suffering for Christ's name. Why? Because suffering for Christ and with Christ makes us more like Christ. And there's nothing more joyful as a Christian than to experience what our Lord did and be made more like him each time. Let me conclude with this. Even today, again, on this day, years and years and years and years removed from Acts chapter 5, the Lord has allowed us and other faithful Christians all around the world to proclaim this good news. But let me remind us, friends, brothers and sisters, that the apostles and the early Christians weren't some kind of super Christians. They weren't special. They weren't able to do all these things because they had some kind of insight or proximity, whether it's in time or geography or location to Jesus. What it comes down to is simply that these were Christians who loved Jesus, who were pressed up against this world that is against the message of Jesus, and they prayed for boldness, and having been filled by the Holy Spirit, they went and they proclaimed the gospel with boldness, and even when suffering and tribulation came, with joy. They weren't special. They weren't wholly different. The only, the only thing that's consistent and constant is that the Holy Spirit of God works through and uses afraid, broken people like you and I to do his kingdom work that will last forever. That's it. There's no secret sauce. Should nothing in our efforts stand, no legacy survive. Unless the Lord does raise this house, in vain its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me, what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. Let's pray.